Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. This week, the subject that we're going to be talking about is worship. And uh, we're talking about the fact that as Lighthouse Church, uh, a core value is that we are passionate worshippers. Amen? Uh, doesn't feel very passionate at the moment because of the expression but how can we this is this is where I think it's a helpful time for us I mean I can never remember a time that this has happened in all my years as a believer and in many ways we're all feeling a bit disappointed or disenfranchised but I think we have an opportunity because I don't think it's going to be very long before we're back to business as usual and I would love us to learn something that is not about notes and music but is about what really defines worship and so what I want to do today is I want to strip it back to the core values because I think that <clears throat> we fall into the trap of being a bit consumerist sometimes if we're honest with ourselves where we define a good worship time about how well they sang and how good the music was amen put your hand up if you've ever if you can be honest with yourself and say at some point in your life your worship of God has been defined by the actual experience in the room and so whilst um, the music and the lights and the smoke and the sweet melodies and the harmonies and the electric guitars they're all good the reality is that all they are is scaffolding okay everybody say scaffolding when you look at a building that's being built and it's higher than one story and even if it's only one story it has scaffolding Often your impression of that building is that scaffolding. And you know what? At the end of the day, scaffolding is pretty ugly, right? They can try and pretty it up. You can go past a, a building site and all the, the boards that they put across the front to keep you out, they put nice murals on and they make them pretty. And when they put scaffolding up, they put that nice kind of green netting on it or what have you just to try and neat it all up. But at the end of the day, it's scaffolding, okay? And I don't know if you've noticed when you're driving along sometimes, I mean, sometimes I walk into town and suddenly there's a building there that I didn't notice before. Or, 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 or there's just been such vast change. And often that's when the scaffolding comes down, you see the beauty of the building, amen? And I think sometimes we can worship worship we're worshipping the scaffolding. We're giving it a nice lick of paint, trying to make it really appealing. But actually, the thing that counts is not the scaffolding, but the building behind it. Amen? And that's essentially what I wanted to say today, is that the core ingredients of worship are not the guitar that's played well, or the drums that are played in time. They are a means of facilitating something. If, if, if our worship was successful because the band played perfectly and because the lighting was just right and because the harmonies were sweet if, if that's the thing that determines how we worship God 
then I think we've got lots still to learn. And so why I think this is a good time for us now is because we feel out of sorts. We don't know how to worship God because we're used to standing up with everybody else and the band is playing and then we sing. And it seems like if we don't have that for many people, it's not worth coming to church. What's the difference? Um, and actually, worship is so much more than the music. Music is wonderful, but it's just scaffolding. Say scaffolding again. Okay. It can obscure our view of God. It can be a distraction because it becomes the end in itself. And it should never be that. For me, I want to make some statements now that will help us to kind of become more centered about what worship is. Let's really define worship so that we can look at our DNA and look at why we do things the way that we do things. Why do we sing the kind of songs that we sing? Because you know that there are a lot of songs out there that we could sing. Why do we pick the kind of songs that we pick? Why do we choose the style? All of that is secondary. If you understand what the building is, that defines the scaffolding a bit better. So worship is not primarily about feeling good. Amen? If you're coming along to church because you want a little pick-me-up, you're, you're talking about the secondary. Okay? That happens as a result of getting the primary right. Amen? So worship's not about feeling good. It's about shifting our perspective why were we reading scriptures today about God being present with us, about supplying our needs, about always being aware of everything that's going on in our lives? Because we need our perspective shifting, don't we? The scripture, the truth about who God is and what he's like, shifts our eyes off of the secondary stuff and puts it where it belongs so that we can go on and actually be empowered. Our goal on a Sunday morning when we do worship as part of our service is to shift our perspective off of our own lives and fix our eyes on God. Our, 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 our goal is to create an atmosphere of faith, not to tickle my senses for the sake of something nice to listen to, but actually to say, I need to get my eyes back on God. And I do that consciously, not by mistake. I choose to look past the scaffolding at the God who's the source of my life. So the definition of worship is the expression of reverence and adoration to God. I like that. That's just a dictionary definition of worship. The expression or reverence and or adoration to God. Another definition says that worship is to honor with extreme submission, I really like that, that's important, and extravagant love. Extreme submission and extravagant love. I decrease so that he can increase. Have you heard that before? So I want to just distill talks down to two, this talk today down to two elements. Reverence, say reverence, and adoration. Okay, we're stripping away the music, okay, and we're getting our eyes fixed on actually what's going to change us and help us. So the first word that I want to talk about is reverence. That means deep respect, deep respect and extreme submission, deep respect and extreme submission. 
A.W. Tozer once said, left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God to manageable terms. Subconsciously, we do it all the time. Left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God to manageable terms. Have you ever heard of that idea of becoming over-familiar? Over-familiar. Some people in, 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 in the church world talk about familiar spirits. But this idea that God is very familiar. I want to kind of dispel that a little bit today. Because when we, when we make God familiar, we make him impotent. And so here's, here's an illustration to help me illustrate this. If you've ever been to kind of a carnival or a, fair, a fun fair, it's got bright lights, especially if you go at night, loud music, lots of fun games. And there used to be a time, I don't know if they still do it anymore, where you could go to one of the stalls and maybe shoot at certain things and knock them over or what have you, and you could win a goldfish. Do you ever remember those days? You go to a theme park, you play a few games, and then you come home with a plastic bag with water in it and a goldfish in it. And you get home and you're like, now what do I do with this? This wasn't part of the plan. Anyhow, you buy yourself a little glass bowl, like yay big, put a bit of gravel in the bottom, a bit of water and a plastic weed, and you put your little goldfish in there. He has nowhere to go. So he just swims round and round and round in a circle. It's a very simple life. For him and every now and again this is my point we come along with a little bit of fish food and we sprinkle it on the top and the goldfish eats this fish food and he carries on swimming around and around and again very safe only time we ever give him any attention is when we sprinkle a bit of fish food in his bowl and I think sometimes we treat God like a goldfish okay so let's contrast that with how I think God probably really is is if you know what an orca is, a killer whale. Very different animals. Uh, a goldfish in a goldfish bowl is just this safe little impotent fish, whereas I think the reality is that God is a killer whale. You know, if you're out in the deep blue ocean, you have no idea how deep it is. You're swimming on the surface. There's a little bit of anxiety going on in your life right now because you don't know what's in the water. And a killer whale, let me tell you, is an apex predator. He's at the top of the food chain. He is ferocious, he is majestic, and he roams freely. And that is who our God is. Amen? So when we talk about reverence, the thing that defines reverence is because God is not like you. And he's not like me. He is wholly apart from us as humanity. There's this thing called the otherness of God. So when we talk about reverence, we need to understand the otherness of God. And Isaiah had a few things to say, and I wanna read a few scriptures to you today. Isaiah 42 verse eight says, I am the Lord. That is my name. Can you see God just saying, Hang on a minute. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. He's saying, 
Just remember, I am God and you are not. In 44 verse 6, it says, This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. He says, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. He's saying there is no competition. I was there at the beginning. I'll be there at the end. Where do you fit into the timeline of existence? Isaiah 46 verse 5. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? God says. To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? He's saying, just take a minute, have a little think. What out there, who out there can compare to me? And it's silent. Nothing. There is no one to compare to God. 46, Isaiah 46 verse 9 says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. It's really important that you and I do not become over familiar with God. Number one, because God compares to nothing or to no one. He is elevated high above every other name. Amen. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He swims in the deep blue ocean that has no limits and he is all powerful. If we reduce him to some familiar thing, we make him impotent and we don't need an impotent God in our lives. There are plenty of impotent idols in the world that have no power to affect change in our lives or to impact any aspect of life. There is no one like our God. And we need to just reflect on that for a minute so that we can set ourselves apart from God, so that we can get some real perspective. Because sometimes I think we pull him down and we lift ourselves up as if we have anything to offer that actually counts. How many of you are grateful that you have God in your life? Is it because maybe some part of you has realized you don't have what it takes? Amen? We were not made to be our own gods. Our God is other from us. The otherness of God is so important for us to remember. He has no equal. He does not need to be sustained, supported, or sponsored. He doesn't need to be sustained, supported, or sponsored. Let's read a few more verses. Acts 17.25 And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself, listen now, gives Every one life and breath and everything else. You know, the reason that you're breathing still in this moment is not because your brain is telling your lungs to, even though it is. If God lifted off his spirit from your life, you would cease to be. 
He gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Psalm 50 verses 9 to 3. I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? God doesn't need anything from us. He says, this whole world, I know every grain of it. I know every single insect. I created them. I created the world that you're standing of on and the heavens themselves. Everything that you discover, I knew about that from the beginning. Romans 11.35 Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Hey, do you ever think to yourself, God, you're quite lucky that you've got me? <laughs> Maybe subconsciously in the attitudes that we have. <laughs> you're so lucky, Lord, that I'm living today. Please. The otherness of God. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, Do men fancy that the Lord needs banners and music and incense and fine linen? These are all things that people would use to worship him. If he did, the stars would emblazon his standard. The winds and the waves become his orchestra. 10,000 times 10,000 flowers would breathe forth perfume. Hey, doesn't need our worship. Creation does a pretty good job already. So, just in case there was any sense that you, that God needed you, and that his ego was slightly higher because of your worship, or whatever it is, he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need you per se. He wants you. But his godness is not improved one iota by you. He is holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. There's not a shadow of turning in him. He is completely light. He is completely love. He is completely faithful. He is completely good. He's completely kind. He is, there's nothing like him in all the world. And so it's so important that when we come on a Sunday, that should steer our thinking and our focus when it comes to worship. Amen? Because then if we can fix our eyes on these things, it doesn't matter about the band. You know, a mature Christian should be able to worship God and not feel diminished in any way because of something like music or singing. It is a part of who we are because God loves it. 
But if that's what defines our ability to worship God, then we need to learn to dig our roots deeper. And I think there's so much that we can learn right now before we go back to how we've always done it. Because if we can learn the lesson now, when we go back, our worship will be so much more meaningful to the Lord. Amen. So, the reason that the otherness of God is important is because it builds faith in us. Amen. We don't have a tame goldfish. We have a killer whale God where anything is possible. Amen. Because he's not defined by our humanity or our finiteness. He's infinitely God. It builds courage in us and it builds expectation. Amen. So now if you take that awe of God and you add to it the outrageous grace of God. Man, you are going to want to worship like never before. Because you have a God who is completely apart from us. Not because he's choosing to be distant, but because of who he is. And yet, in spite of that, he chooses to pour out his love on you. The Bible says that even while we were running around sinning, Jesus came and died for us. It wasn't like we managed to pull our socks up to a certain level where God thought, I feel like it now. He just saw something in you that he loved so much, even though you were so small and insignificant in the grand scheme of things. You're not insignificant to God. A few more verses. Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have, I have loved you with an everlasting love. So from before time even began, I loved you. And I have drawn you always. I have drawn you towards myself. I have wooed you. I've called out to you. I've never held you off. I've drawn you with my loving kindness. It's God's kindness, amen? The Bible says that leads us to repentance. Not because he's going to whack us with a stick, but because he's so kind and so patient and so loving that even when we turn our backs on him, he still draws us to himself. And he never stops loving you one iota. How awesome is it that someone loves you that much and you did nothing, you weren't charming, or handsome or beautiful or clever or funny to make him love you he just he, he actually loved you before you were even a physical person he loved you so much that he created you with that love in mind so that he could relate with you and just pour his love out on you having no need for you whatsoever in the world he chose to make you purely so he could relate with you. Not because you added anything to his empire or contributed anything to his ego. Simply because, Romans 5 verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I spoke that just now. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior. Same mighty warrior. You need to stop thinking about him as a human warrior, but as an everlasting cosmos shaping warrior. Amen. He is with you to save, the Bible says. 
He will take great delight in you. His, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. You know? And actually, that word singing is very limited. Um, what's the word? My words are escaping me. Interpretation. Thank you very much. That means spinning around with great zeal. Hey, he rejoices over you by spinning around. You know, when we come together in our times and we worship him in the spirit realm, he is reveling in this time with you. He's emotionally moved by the moment of being with you because he loves you that much. So when you think about God as being so unneeding, you and your, his life, do you know what I mean? When he is just so perfect and so everything that our presence doesn't make him any more God or any more great or any more wonderful. And yet he chooses to have you in his life because he wants a love relationship with you. Man, and, and when you know you like nobody else knows you, when you know the thoughts that you have about people, the things that you mumble under your breath, the way you might talk about people behind closed doors or even in your own head talk, and the way you live your life in secret, when God knows every aspect of that about you, not the person that you project when you come here on a Sunday, the refined, the altogether person perhaps, when he knows the real you and still chooses to love you and doesn't feel any less loving towards you because of your actions, Man, why would you not want to pour out your heart in love and wonder and worship to the Lord? Do you need music to do that? You just communicate to him what's in your heart. You know, praise and worship is, is scaffolding that helps give a language to what we're feeling inside. Amen? But it doesn't make you feel that inside because it's not about the worship. It's about the God who you worship. If you can strip away all the scaffolding and you can just love on God because he's so good to you, you will hit the worship button every time. It won't be a matter of, oh, I just don't really feel like it today. Just remind yourself, why do I worship God? And you'll be away. You know, we have to work at getting past the obstacles sometimes. But... You know, you don't arrive at church and suddenly realize God suddenly became worthy of my praise. It's the result of the otherness and grace of God. I want to read a story quickly as we come to an end. Luke chapter 7, 36 to 37. When, of the fa when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town, doesn't give her a name because I think it's symbolic of more than a woman. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, let's put our hands up, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. I can't hear any music playing, but I see deep worship. Amen? 
Then she wiped them, her tears that is, on his dusty feet. She wiped them with her hair. Can you imagine ladies doing that? It wouldn't, in your mind, there's probably nothing more gross in all the world than wiping your hair on someone's dirty feet. But something moved this woman inside. She kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. You know, I can't remember the exact monetary amount, but that wasn't just like a little cheap bottle of perfume that you got off the internet. That was like a year's worth of wages. And yet she cracked it open and just poured it all out on Jesus as an offering to the Lord. What worship. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, <clears throat> or when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Man, I feel very sad for the Pharisee. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Oh, now the teacher's talking to me. How important am I? Two people owned money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. How good is God? Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, now notice this isn't God loving them more. Amen. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and, and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. You know what it was like walking around in that day and age. Open sandals, dusty roads, hot climate. It wasn't a pretty sight. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Did you not, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured out perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, listen now, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little and if you were saying those who forgive him much love much the point being Jesus love and forgiveness is the same for everyone but how we interpret it defines how we worship him amen and so I, I always take the opportunity to remind people that there is nothing good within them that merits anything from God. You know what? Because God doesn't look at good people and better people. Sin is sin. And if you've sinned, you have nothing to contribute because the Bible says that you would have to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect to earn anything from God and you are not. And if you realize that you actually bring nothing to the table, that counts and that God is everything then suddenly you will realize that you have been forgiven so much never look around the room and point fingers at other people never do that 
because you are equally fallen in the eyes of God. But when you have been forgiven much and you realize that you love much, amen? And that's the difference between the sinful woman and the Pharisee. The Pharisee was a good person who followed the rules, who did the right things and said the right things out in the open. And he was like, oh my word, what is this filthy woman doing here, touching this guy who says he's a prophet? Oh my word. Can you just see how easy it is to fall on the other side of the line? Hey? To be the judgmental, self-righteous person who doesn't need God as much as that person over there. And then you wonder why you don't connect or people don't connect with God in worship because somehow they have lost all perspective. And so today I, I hope that we will walk away from this place with a clearer understanding of why we worship passionately. Because I think it doesn't matter if you are, this is my belief, that if you and I truly understand how great God is and how much we have been forgiven, things like music won't define our praise. Um, Circumstances won't define our praise. Our temperament won't define our praise because there will be this explosion of emotion inside of us that is rooted in an awareness of who we are now in God. And we will hold nothing back. We won't care what we look like. Amen? Do you think that that prostitute was worried what people thought about her. She was completely lost in God. And that's how we ought to be. What does it take for us to find that place in the Lord? Where it's all about giving every last drop, even our tears to the Lord. Because he is worth it. It's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. Adoration becomes a natural response of a forgiven soul. It's faith-driven. It's grace-driven. It's extravagant. It's passionate. It's heartfelt. It's emotional. You know, God doesn't need our worship. We need to worship God. So I guess I want to leave you with a question today as a means to helping you get past the scaffolding. What is it about the otherness of God that makes him worthy of my worship? Just keep asking yourself that question. What is it about the otherness of God that makes me look at him the way that I should. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.